Hey, Raider Nation, are you looking for an independent news source covering the Raiders in Las Vegas? Check out the only site that's been doing it for the past four years, VegasSportsToday.com. With in-depth daily coverage of the Raiders and news and opinions from a stable of talented writers, VegasSportsToday.com is your independent source for news out of the capital of Raider Nation, Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, and by the way, we cover all Vegas sports, including boxing, UFC, esports, and the hottest ticket in the NHL, the Vegas Golden Knights. Get on your phone now. Now and check out VegasSportsToday.com, your independent source for Raiders news. No corporate BS, just pure Raider Nation. That's VegasSportsToday.com. Are you on your way to Vegas right now as you listen to this show? Well, if for some crazy reason you get injured in either California or Nevada, what happens in Vegas doesn't need to stay in Vegas. Sam and Ash Injury Lawyers are the people's attorneys and experts in both states. People, choose the right attorney, please. Sam and Ash have an impeccable track record, huge wins for accident victims, and always take your case all the way, even across state lines. They care, they help and you win. The ones to trust if hurt in any sort of accident. Salmon Ash Injury Law at 1-800-304-2000. That's 1-800-304-2000 or check out salmonashlaw.com. All right. There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090. Welcome back, Raider Nation. It is a Friday night. It is Southern California. This is the Mightier 1090, and you are listening to Silver and Black tonight, Southern California's only all-Raider talk show. I am Scott Branson, joined by my co-host, Mo Moten. Mo, it's almost time for some real football, my man. We got past the preseason. It's time. It gets real now. Definitely gets real, gets serious. Uh, the, the Twitter debates get a lot more intense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people are coming at my neck. People are coming at other people's necks. I'm The Raiders' predictions, as far as the season is concerned, are all over the map. Yes. We'll talk about that today, but... A lot going on, a lot to talk about today. There is. And and first, you know, we're going to get to uh, the roster cuts. Of course, on Tuesday, the Raiders got down to 53 men, just like the rest of the NFL. There were a few surprises, I guess, although most of us weren't surprised by them, but some fans were, I guess. But then again, they made moves late in the week, including on Thursday, a big signing. They made another trade, which we knew about, but it was finalized. And we're going to talk about that, too. But first, I have to remind you that this show, Silver and Black Tonight on my 1090 is brought to you by Salmon Ash Injury Law because you deserve what's right. 1-800-304-2000 or samandashlaw.com. And our correspondent, David Stepanian, tells us about the game that was. Yes, the final preseason game, the Raider game. It was not an exciting one. It was not a great one. In fact, a lot of Raider fans went to Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. And here's David to tell you about the game. It was the final week of preseason, and the Raiders traveled to the Bay Area for the first time since leaving Oakland to take on the 49ers in the last exhibition game. San Francisco played many of their starters, and it certainly showed early in the game, with Jimmy Garoppolo diving for a touchdown to take an early lead. Early 70s, Tom Landry rotated Roger Staubach and Craig Morton every single play. They're not going to do that, are they? They're going to roll Garoppolo. Hulk at the fullback. Jimmy will dive. Goes head first. 
Nathan Peterman played every preseason snap for the Raiders and despite the loss, had his longest touchdown when he connected on a 16-yard TD to tight end Nick Bowers. Well, they come out of those wide nines. I love them when they get down to yeah, Got to play tight coverage and bring pressure. Blitz, Lenore Blitz caught for a first down. Tight end Uh-oh. breaks a tackle, and the Raiders are in the end zone. It's Nick Bowers. The 49ers ended up winning the contest 34-10 behind the dual performance from Garoppolo and number 3 pick Trey Lance. But preseason standout Trey Regis carried the ball nine times for 39 yards for the Silver and Black. And Nathan Peterman ended the game on 18-29 of passing for 175 yards and a touchdown and a pick to boot. Gruden wasn't too concerned about the result after the game. Well, obviously, we have a lot of injuries at linebacker. We lost another one early in the first series. And, um, and we want to make sure we evaluate our team. And uh, that's what we've done. We've pretty much done the same thing for three straight years. So this four straight years. This should be no surprise. Um, we know where Jacobs is. We know who our starting five linemen are. Who's the sixth man? Who's the seventh man? Who's the eighth man? We may not have that. We'll find out. But... Um, Evaluation is critical. The only way you can evaluate guys is in live situations. And uh, we needed this three preseason games to see where our second-year players are, where some of our new players are, and where our rookies are. Next on the docket for the Silver and Black is the long-anticipated Monday night home opener against the Ravens on September 13th. For Silver and Black tonight, I'm David Stepanian. There you go. Thank you to David Stepanian. And, Mo, obviously not a lot to learn from the game. We did see some players who were playing unexpectedly, and you and I called it out. And one of those players, as we dovetail now into a discussion around the 53-man roster, was safety Carl Joseph. The Raiders went out and signed Joseph as a free agent, gave him a million-dollar guarantee, and then, lo and behold, Tuesday, and he did not play that well against the 49ers and played a lot, he was cut by the Raiders. So they take that million-dollar cap hit, as they did with John Brown, the wide receiver, which I think was the biggest uh, surprise for some. But, Mo, you were beating that drum early. You said, hey, don't be surprised if John Brown gets cut. Yeah, I actually wrote that in an article that I put out the day before cuts. or the, Yes, the day before cuts. I put that out that John Brown could be on the way out, only because I felt like with certain veterans, sometimes you hear buzz about them during camp, you know, during the offseason. I just didn't hear much about John Brown. So when he suited up for that last preseason game, I wasn't surprised he suited up. Only had one catch for two yards, I believe. I felt like he was in trouble. I felt like the Raiders were going to keep either DJ Turner or, or Dylan Stoner and drop one of the wide receivers in John Brown or Willie Sneed. I, they obviously kept two rookies on the practice squad. Right. John Brown out of the door. So... I wasn't too surprised. Um, They did have to eat $3.2 million in cap, which isn't ideal. But, hey, I I guess the young guys stepped up. So that's a good sign, even though you had to eat the money. Yeah, it is. And and we look at that 53-man roster, Mo, uh, up and down, and we talked about Carl Joseph. We caught, talked about John Brown. You just mentioned the na- the number of uh, dollars that they lose, a dead cap hit, $3.2 million or $3.5 million closer. Uh, Zay Jones, a guy they always talk about and I am always skeptical about cause, just because I haven't seen it, uh, although he convinced them that and they were willing to eat the money. 
which of course our good friend Michael Lombardi tweeted, "Hey, you finished eight and eight, and, and you're 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 cutting guys that have guaranteed money. What does that say about your evaluation?" I think it's a fair question. I know a lot of the Raider Nation don't like Michael. They think he's anti-Raider. I don't believe it. I think he brought up a good point, Mo. You look at this roster and what they've been able to do, and then they made some moves Thursday that we'll talk about in a second here. Uh, and and John Gruden just talked about the needs that they have. But if you have these needs, then what's happening? You know, why didn't Tanner Muse jump up? Everybody's talking about Tanner Muse. He's going to be a role player like I thought he would be. I wasn't expecting him to be more. But we certainly heard a lot of reports out of camp that this guy, oh, he's going to compete. He could compete for more time, especially with the injuries. The Raiders instead go out. They get Denzel Perryman, and then they go out. Of course, they sign uh, the big move, which was K.J. Wright, one of the NFL's best, uh, ranked number 67 in the NFL Top 100 this year. So, So I don't know what's going on. I mean, I think Raider fans, Mo, when you look at this roster, they should feel much better than they did last year. But then also, I think it's 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 kind of a, a double-edged sword because then you look and say, hey, what about all some of these young guys that they wanted to develop that haven't come along, so they had to go out and get some more? This is how, this is how I split the Raiders roster. This is how I look at it personally. Fans may disagree or agree with this, but I'm going to put this out there. And I've said this from the beginning once they hired Gus Bradley. I feel a lot better about the Raiders' defense I don't feel so good about their offense, only because, as you said, there are some new guys on that side of the ball. There are some new guys on the defensive side of the ball, too, but I feel like Gus Bradley can get more out of the talent than Paul Gunther did. Uh, I believe it was Brandon Marshall spoke to someone, uh, a news anchor recently, and he said that that Paul Gunther was basically the Achilles heel of the Raiders, and if, you know, if they moved on and they got Gus Bradley now, they should do a lot better on that side of the ball, and I believe him. I've, there have been a lot of former players who come out and said something along those lines. So again, I, I feel like the Raiders' defense should be, a, should be moderately better, because there are some new parts and they have to gel together. But I expect a lot from that side of the ball. I agree. And I think, here again, my concern is, and, and there's a difference between being negative and being concerned. I'm You and I, Mo, look at this team right down the middle. And what I'm saying, and I agree with you on the defense versus the offense, where last year it was the other way around. You kind of felt like, okay, they went out and they addressed some needs in the draft. They got, um, um, they got de- uh, defense, but it was kind of like a filler defense. They went out and drafted in the offense, and they got Henry Ruggs III. They had Nelson and Aguilar, who really performed well last year. So you felt good about that. But my question, too, on this roster, especially even the defense, I like them better. I think they will be a better team this year. There's no question. I think they will have more wins this year. And we're going to talk about that in the second part of the show. But at the same time, they're going out and having to get guys like K.J. Wright. I know he's one of the best, but he's year 11. So you're in year four of a rebuild. Why have you not been able to develop your own talent to the point where by year four, most of your guys are homegrown from the draft or young players that you got through free agency who are now coming into their own. Instead, we're still seeing them fill gaps just with better players. You're absolutely right about that. And I think fans would agree that the Raiders have had an issue with developing talent. And some fans will also say that part of that is because Gruden leans on his coaching staff to pick players in the draft or in free agency or or what have you. But regardless of whose fault it is, (laughs) let's just stop pointing the finger for a minute and just just get get to the problem. Yes, just, just point to the problem. The Raiders have an issue with developing talent. And what the hope is is that with better coaching that you get better results. 
Yeah, and I think you will. I mean, you're right. I think somebody like Corey Littleton is going to have a much better season. You you said it last week. He's got to have a better season now, especially with some of the injuries. Now they've addressed that by by getting Perryman in there, by getting KJ Wright in there. They obviously filled two big holes, especially because of injury. But I, I think even they were concerned before that. Had had Nick Morrow not gotten injured, had uh, Javen White, who was kind of a borderline player, if he would have not gotten injured, would they still have gone out and made these deals? Absolutely, they would have. And and that's. The the other thing to call on here too, uh, Mo, is the fact that these are all Gus Bradley guys. They played for him before. Both of these linebackers know the system, and so if you're the Raiders and you're John Gruden, and whatever you say, there is pressure to win this year. And if you need to win this year and you need to hold up that defense and really shore it up, go get some guys who already know how to play for Gus Bradley, already like Gus Bradley. And I think it's a hell of a uh, endorsement of Gus Bradley and the hire John Gruden made on defense. Absolutely, and I think and I've said this to I've said this a lot. I think the Raiders' defense they're going to help them win some games this year. I, I don't know if it's going to necessarily lead to a playoff berth, and we'll get into that. But I think that there are going to be times where the offense sputters, and the defense is going to have to pull them out of a jam, which is probably something new for Raider fans because they're so used to the defense being basically a wet paper bag out there. And I think this year you you might see a little bit of the reverse, and a lot of that credit is probably going to go to Gus Bradley. And a lot of the side eyes are going to probably go to John Gruden with this offense. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think the Raiders, as as um, Mike Mayock said during his press conference this week, I don't think they're done. I, I know they were very active on Thursday and into Friday, but I do think that they're still not done. I think you'll see other movement on this roster. They still have to address issues, I think, with depth on that offensive line. We're still not sure about the interior of the defensive line either as far as rotational guys. Are they good enough there? Do they have enough guys? I know they like Ngakwe, of course. They like um a lot of the guys up there that that have filled in and done a good job, but at the same time, they're looking for depth, and I think we'll see that. Now, Mo, we got a minute or two left here before um, we welcome on Sam and Ash, but I just want to ask you, the K.J. Wright signing to me was a big one. Uh, you look at this guy, 10 years in Seattle, 2020 last season, 86 tackles, two sacks, two fumble recoveries, and an interception. He hasn't missed a game since 2018. I think that's a huge thing. And then going back to Gus Bradley, he comes to play for his old coach from Seattle. They play, they, he played for him there. He joins Perryman, who played for Bradley. He joins Hayward uh, Jr., who played for Bradley down in Los Angeles. Um, I think this is a really good signing for this team, uh, and I think it's one that they had to make and why they restructured Nick Kwiatkowski's contract to free up some of that cap money. Yeah, and we talked about John Brown having to eat John Brown's contract at $3.2 million. I think part of that, you know, having to convert Kwiatkowski's contract had to do with, yeah, we, we were still saddled with the $3.2 million from John Brown. But, yes, you're correct. I think this is a big move for them. I think that's going to solidify the linebacker core with the injuries they have there. Morrow nicked up. Javon White nicked up. Uh, it seems, doesn't seem like they want to play Kwiatkowski a whole lot compared to last year. It seems like they're okay with him being a backup in the second unit. So, right coming in. Big piece for that defense, and I think he's going to make an impact. He was the only player last year with 10-plus pass breakups and 10-plus tackles for loss. So huge addition there for the Raiders picking him up. Okay, I'm here with my legal team, Sam and Ash Injury Law, because you deserve what's right. 1-800-304-2000 or samandashlaw.com. Personal injury attorneys crossing state lines from California to Nevada. If you're traveling out of L.A. to Vegas or Vegas back to L.A., Sam and Ash Injury Law are the lawyers you need if hurt or in an accident. And joining me today 
is Ashley Watkins from Salmon Ash. Ash, how you doing today? You ready to talk a little bit more about uh, some sports-related COVID vaccine controversy? I love sports and COVID's <laughs> everywhere, so let's talk about it. Let's do that. And, and unfortunately, you know, this is one of those situations where uh, there's still a lot of divide over this, but recently the, the Ivy League, the Ivy League has said that all athletes must have the vaccine, uh, and there's been some uproar over that. There's this kind of idea that people are being told what to do medically with themselves. We've talked about it in the past here on the show with you. Also, we know from Supreme Court decision, right, the University of Indiana, some students sued them over the mandate. They lost at the Supreme Court, so Indiana could uphold their mandate with the with the uh, Ivy League, it seems like this is a slam dunk too, that the students aren't or people aren't going to be able to push back because they are telling everyone they must get vaccinated students on campus and athletes versus what we're seeing at the University of uh, Western Michigan, where a student on religious grounds is suing because only athletes have to be vaccinated at that university. At the end of the day, Ash, is it, vaccine mandates have held up in court, haven't they? Somewhat, yeah. You know, the Supreme Court did refuse to block Indiana University's requirements that students be vaccinated. Um, it's kind of like the first legal test of a COVID vaccine mandate. And um, and so it was interesting to see that they didn't um, challenge it or deny it, and they just kind of, they're letting it fly. But the, the curious thing here is you've got to allow some level of leeway, I think. Mm. Um, you need to, like, there has to be religious exemptions, disability exemptions. You know, they have there. That's where the constitutional challenges could get faced. And so, um, it's interesting to see how this will play out. I know the Ivy Leagues, with a certain threshold of vaccinations, they're allowed to um, have some people get uh, religious or personal belief hmm. exemptions from it, so long as they have a majority of vaccinations. So, um, this is just one of many tests these sports teams and universities and institutions are all facing. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of this. Uh, and again, it's very polarizing. There are some people out there who just cannot comprehend why someone wouldn't want to get vaccinated. Meanwhile, there are people who have good reasons not to get vaccinated. There are some people who don't want to share the reason that they don't want to get vaccinated and then they get painted in a certain way. Uh, and, and so it's become this very big tussle. And we, again, we saw Cam Newton get cut by the Patriots earlier this week. And, and a lot of people believe that at least in part that was due to that. But when you look at this this case in western michigan too with the religious exemption i think you're starting to see many more people use that uh and as as an objection to getting the vaccine um in the past when you've seen things like this that are that are based on religious grounds how have they held up in court well so the interesting thing is well First, I'm going to say, I think Cam Newton was released and it had nothing to do with his vaccination <laughs> status. I think that he I'm was a, a, yeah, um, so it was, but that is becoming one of many factors that other coaches have openly acknowledged, even though it's against what they've agreed with, with the Players Association. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing we're seeing is, you know, Sam and I always talk that California, a few years ago, they they um, enacted a law that basically required every student uh, to be vaccinated for a list of certain viruses in order to attend school. Um, and it was public or private. And if you didn't get vaccinated, you had to do homeschool or some remote program. Um, and that upheld, but the, but the difference here is those vaccines 
were tested and had been in existence for so long that the data was so known by everyone and the risks associated them with could be calculated. Here, our data is so limited is what Mm. people are afraid of. And also, many of these vaccines are authorized under emergency protection, meaning there's no tort liability if anything were to happen down the road five years from now, 10 years from now. These companies can't get sued. And so that's what a lot of this concern and frustration is about. People want that autonomy to make a decision on their own. And then there's also the greater good of maintaining the health and safety of everyone. And those things are right now constantly at odds. Yeah, they are. And that, that's the thing, too, is I, I think you think of sports, right? So people think of sports in school and they think of vaccines and we're used to growing up. I mean, I'm a parent, so my kids have been vaccinated for polio and chicken pox. But as you point out, those have been tested for a longer period of time. And so there is some resistance by folks over this. And with sports in particular, because of the close contact, does that make a difference when it comes to these objections on religious grounds as far as, you know, if you're an athlete and you you get told that you have to vaccinate, uh, but you have a religious objection to it, would it would it be considered the same under the law as if it were just going to school or work? Absolutely. It'd be similar. But the unique thing with this Western Michigan case is that the university itself as a whole does not have a vaccine requirement. They're Mm. only requiring their athletes. And that's where this case will get interesting. You can't say that the COVID pandemic is such a, a... a problem and health care and risk to your student body and your student athletes that they all must get vaccinated. But then you look at just students that are going to school or band members or anything like that and say, no, you're fine. Just mask up and keep six feet. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> you can't have that kind of contradiction. No, especially when those same student athletes are going to go to class and sit next to those people. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense logically to yeah. do that. All right. Ashley Watkins from Sam and Ash Law. We appreciate you being here. you heard it here first from our legal team they care they help you win because you deserve what's right sam and ash injury law 1-800-304-2000 or go to sam and thank you ash we will talk to you next week love it thanks scott appreciate it all right thanks to sam and ash for joining us and thanks for their sponsorship of the show they bring you silver and black tonight every friday all right we're going to step aside for a break when we come back mo and i will discuss a little more about the 53-man roster but then we're going to get right to our predictions for the Raiders season. What will their record be? Do they have enough to make the playoffs? You're listening to the Silver and Black today here on the Mightier 1090. We will be right back with Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 SoCal Sports Talk. Hey everybody, Scott Branson here, Silver and Black tonight. Did you know, Raider Nation, that 90% of the people that get into an accident don't realize that they have rights, justice to be served, and free access to great lawyers? Call Sam and Ash Injury Law at 1-800-304-2000. So much more goes into choosing the right lawyer. The details matter. Sam and Ash Injury Lawyers, more expertise and more caring. It's Sam and Ash Injury Law. Save this number, 1-800-304-2000. LA very own 1-800-304-2000 or salmonashlaw.com because you deserve what's right. 
Now, back to Scott and Moe on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 AM. Welcome back, Southern California. Welcome back, Worldwide Raider Nation, because you know what? Yes, we are on the Mightier 1090. Yes, we boom at 50,000 watts from Baja to the Canadian Rockies. But I tell you what, Raider Nation listens to this show all over the world, whether it's online right now on the TuneIn app, whether it's on the station radio site, whether you're listening on our podcast feed, Raider Nation is worldwide. So thank you for being with us here on Silver and Black tonight. Mo Moten, Scalco Branson with you as we roll on, talking about the Raiders as we get geared up for next Sunday. Well, it's actually 11 days, 10 days from now, I should say, um, for the game against the Baltimore Ravens, the home opener at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas on Monday Night Football. Ball. I guess it doesn't have that anymore. But nonetheless, Monday Night Football will be a great game. Uh, but we, Mo, before I, I jumped off and talked to, to Ash about all those legal issues, um, we were talking about the roster. And I just wanted to come back to that before we move on to uh, the schedule prediction and some of that stuff. But we talked about the linebacking core, the signing of KJ Wright, which, again, I, I love that. I love the signing of Perryman. He knows the system. He's going to come in and be able to, uh, especially, I think, lead some of those those young linebackers joined with Corey Littleton. They did ask Gruden about the linebackers on Thursday, Mo, and here's what he had to say. Well, Nick and Javin are hurt, so that's, you know, it's a moot point, really. They're not going to be ready to go for the opener. When they're ready, I don't know. I'll update you on a weekly basis, but um, getting Denzel Perryman was big. He's a middle linebacker that gives us some playing experience and system intelligence, and, you know, we'll see what happens with Wright. But uh, Kwiatkowski practiced today. It's good to have him back for the first time in three weeks. And we still like Corey Littleton. We've got a couple young guys that need, need time, but uh, that's where we are. There you go. John Gruden talking about the linebackers, Mo, and you heard him talk about Perryman there in the middle. Then you have the Sam, obviously, with K.J. Wright, which he didn't get into a lot. But, um, I mean, the, the difference in this linebacking core over the last two days is really night and day. Definitely. And uh, as we said, K.J. Wright being there, and he can actually play multiple positions mm-hmm. there. If they have to slide him over for whatever reason, he can play multiple positions on that second level. So that's another plus for him. But... I'm wondering what's going to happen once Nick Morrow is healthy. Because Javon mm. White was going to be depth at the position. He wasn't going to start. How How is Gus Bradley going to, I guess, juggle I guess their top three, four linebackers? And how is he going to split up that playing time? We'll find out. But that's, it's a good problem to have because you got quality guys who could step in just in case there are injuries. Uh, if you want to switch up a package, if you want to you know, go base, you want to go nickel. You could do different things with that lineup, and I think that's a huge, huge plus for the Raiders' defense. Absolutely, and I, I think you're right about Morrow. I mean, he's worked so hard to get where he's at, get get where he's at, and then he gets injured, and so then you have to go back and say, "Oh boy, you know, now you got two guys uh, playing in there." But I think you're right. I think the opportunity for the Raiders and for Gus Bradley on the defensive side of the ball to have that talent, to have the depth that you don't have in other areas on this team is huge. One other roster thing I want to mention, Mo, because one of the issues that we talked about earlier in the show was the Raiders' uh, lack of development. Now, they've developed some players. I mean, you look at Colton Miller is a great example of John Gruden and his staff developing a player. Tom Cable's done a great job of making him into, I think, a pro bowler, basically. Um, but on other sides of the ball and money, spending money, are they spending their money well? So I know everybody likes to joke about Nate Peterman. Now, Nate Peterman 
I think set a record because he threw every single pass in the, except for one, I think it was in the preseason um, for the Raiders. He played the whole way, which was good for him. And I said this in, in my observation after the game written up on VegasSportsToday.com. And, but I look at it and, and I know people will say, oh, it's only a million dollars, Mo, but, but explain to me why it's a good spend of roughly $1.05 million. I believe, okay, I wouldn't say it's a good spend. I'll say it's a necessary spend Uh only because I feel like there's a a possibility that the Raiders could trade Marcus Mariota. Okay. Now, I know he has a no-trade clause, but he can also, he can waive that no-trade clause if he, you know, agrees or likes a deal that's on the table. He did say that he wants to start again at one point. So, let's say there's an injury across the league and team's looking for a quarterback and is not interested in Cam Newton. What if they're interested in Marcus Mariota? Would the Raiders do it? Probably if they're willing to give up premium draft capitalists. Yeah. Third or fourth round pick. The Raiders may be interested in that. Marcus Mariota may be interested in that because he can start again. And they may deal him. They may deal him before the trade deadline. And then you're going to need a backup quarterback who knows the system just in case Derek Carr gets hurt. And that's when Nathan Peterman comes in. Wow. Yeah, no, and I get that. I get that justification. And, and I don't disagree with them having an insurance policy but I look at what they had to do. I mean, clearly they got Kwiatkowski to restructure his deal, which was a good thing for this team because that, that enabled them to go out and sign right on Thursday. But at the same time, you look at other areas where they need some more depth. And if there's some quality guys out on the on the waiver wire, are they going to be able to afford it? That's my, that's my concern is, are they going to be able to make enough room should they somebody come available that they can go out and get? Uh, and I'm not so sure they can, Mo. I'm not sure so, so sure that they can make some big moves, maybe not some big money guys, but if you if you're bringing in a guy in the middle of the season for a mil or 2 mm. million, they can do what they did today and basically convert some salaries into signing bonuses and then create some room that way. There are plenty if you have a good cap guy and you're in your front office, you can make some room if you really need a player during the season. And we again, we saw that today with the Raiders with uh, bringing in KJ Wright. Yeah. One guy, too, that nobody talked about <clears throat> that I think you and I did a little bit privately um, was Carl Nassib. Carl Nassib, we didn't I wasn't sure. I didn't think he was going to get cut, but I thought he could uh, just because I hadn't heard just like John Brown. I just hadn't heard a lot about him. There was a couple days of practice, I think, early on in camp where he kind of starred. And a lot of people talked about the fact that he he played really well. But outside of that, I didn't hear a lot from him. Uh, so obviously he's fine and they believe uh, that he's ready to go and he'll have a better year uh, than he did last year. But I think, too, what we saw this week was a coordinated effort, Mo, by the Raiders, John Gruden and Mike Mayock to, to put out a specific message. Last year, the message was no excuses. And I think they made a lot of excuses for last year, but they, that, that was their mantra. OK, this year, they've now made the expectation that you that they have to make the playoffs. Anything short of it would be a disappointment. Now, you could say co- coaches say that every year, Mo, but that's what they came out and said late in the week. And so now you've set this expectation and I don't think anything I think anything less than the playoffs for the Raiders this year is not only a disappointment, but it's a crushing disappointment. Absolutely. I think the fans are waiting for it because I've I've actually said this after the last season ended and I said what head coach keeps his job after not making the playoffs for three consecutive years with two late season collapses in the last two right 
Gruden, if Gruden was with any other football team, not connected to the owner, he would at least be on the hot seat right now. And what I didn't like to hear this offseason was when Mark Davis said there's no win now mandate. Now, you guys can look that up. I believe he mm-hmm. said that to Peter King, that there was no win now mandate for John Gruden. I didn't like that message. And people will say, well, he's not going to throw his head coach under the bus. But he, I think he should send a stronger message than that. Like, we're tra- look, we're, we need to make the playoffs. He doesn't have to put John Gruden on a hot seat or, you know, throw him under the bus. But just send a message to the team that said, look, we're – we're shooting for the playoffs, and that's what Mike Mayock did on, on I believe uh, Wednesday. So, I, I think with the mess, as far as messaging is concerned, the Raiders have to finish, and if they do finish, they'll have a chance at the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that, and I also think that you look at how this team stacks up, Mo. And this is the question, and we're going to kind of transition into our our Raiders kind of record prediction or discussion, at least, uh, here on the show. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090. Scott Branson and Mo Moten are with you. Um, but, Mo, you look at this, and here's the question I have for you before we even get to the record. The, can this team make the playoffs in the AFC, knowing the play, AFC landscape and what's going on, what moves have been made, who's where? Um, it comes down to talent and execution. And do the Raiders, in your view, have the talent and can they execute well enough to be a playoff team in the AFC? I believe they do have the talent to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're a playoff team, but they have enough talent. They have, to me... With the defense expecting me expecting the defense to be better, I think they have enough to make a push. But I will caution. <laughs> Again, my <laughs> my concern is the offense. And I feel like and and people are gonna use this and say, Oh, Moe's making excuses for Derek Carr. I don't think John Gruden and the Raiders set Derek Carr for success this year. Mm. What they did with the offensive line. Um, they have two wide receivers who need to will have a lot to prove in Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards, of course, has some injury issues in his past on the collegiate level. So you're hoping that that offensive line gels relatively quickly, and you're hoping at least one of those wide receivers turns into a, a solid contributor every week. It would be great if both of them are, but you're, you're banking at least one of them doing it. And le- I hope this doesn't happen. But let's say what, what if Darren Waller can't play for a game you know, he's down with an injury or something, or he's out for whatever reason, who are you going to turn turn to as your go-to? I'm not saying Henry Ruggs needs to be your wide receiver one and get 100 yards every week. No, but you need somebody. He has to be reliable. Yeah, he has to be reliable. Yeah. A- if, if Darren Waller can't go, somebody has to be reliable. So a lot of young guys have to step up, and, and it's a lot of ifs. And anytime I hear a lot of ifs about a football team, I question whether they can make the playoffs or not. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, and, and to me, as I said earlier in the show, I do believe that this Raiders team, especially from a talent perspective and especially from a defensive coaching perspective, is better than it was last year when they were a 500 team. A 500 team only because they lost six straight to end the season, right? So you, you look at that situation and you say to yourself, okay, you now have to not over, not only overcome that, which you've done, you've been able to go out and make some significant signings to improve your team, but then you also had to get rid of a lot of players. And to your point, no one's talking about the offense. Everybody's mantra and everybody's narrative right now is, oh, we, well, the defense is better now, so now we can be a playoff team. But then you're not looking at the net losses on the offense and how that might take. You know, I asked you a couple weeks ago, Mo, how long might it take for that offensive line who's not played together yet in a game – 
How long will it take them to gel? And you told me a couple games, two to three games. And boy, if you come out of the gate and go 0-3, I'm not saying they're going to. I don't think they will. But I'm saying if they were to, you, I don't know that you have three games to figure it out and still be a playoff team. Yeah, it would be pretty tough for the Raiders to make the playoffs in the AFC if they start off 0-3. I don't <laughs> think they're going to start off 0-3. Me either. But I I do think they could have a rough go coming out of the gate. You got two tough you got two tough opponents that went to the playoffs last year, and then the offense who were on the cusp. But I just really quick want to say about this this offensive line, and it, people are a lot of fans say, well, the offensive line last year wasn't that good, and we made changes, so we should be better. And I will say that that's the optimistic way of looking at it. So I get the fan perspective. But just because you made changes doesn't mean you're automatically better. You <laughs> right. could you could get worse. Right. <laughs> it could get it could definitely get worse, especially when you have inexperienced guys up front and they didn't get a lot of reps during the preseason. It could it, it can look pretty rough to open the year. Yeah, and, and look and look at Alex Leatherwood. So Alex Weather, Leatherwood I thought played well in the preseason. He had his moments, obviously as a rookie. But if we if we compare him to Colton Miller, just 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 for this exam this uh, exercise. He took some time. If you look at Colton Miller, his rookie year, he Colton Miller had some great games. He also got injured, and he had some not-so-great games. And so you have to expect that out of a rookie. So now you think about Alex Leatherwood. You think about if Richie Incognito doesn't come back, because you know what? You don't know that he will, okay? And he's been injured. You've, you've talked about this a lot. He's been out more than he's been in for the Raiders, okay? So you look at that situation. Depth becomes an issue on that offensive line. Yes, you have some good young players there who can develop, but then somebody goes down. Then what do you do? Then you're now into your third uh, string guy, and how, how much of a fall off in talent do you have there? And suddenly your quarterback's getting killed, and that can change the whole course of your season. Absolutely. And this is my issue with the Raiders' offense. We're 17 game season, 18 weeks. You know guys are going to go down. You're, you're probably not going to go through a whole season where everyone's 100% healthy. Well, not 100%, but everyone's playing every game. So you're going to have to fill in in some spots. Now, I'm okay with Brandon Park. I felt like he had a decent preseason. Uh, Mayock pointed this out in his presser. I, I think mm-hmm. he can fill in as a swing tackle. But do you want him in there four or five games? I don't know about that. <laughs> now, the Raiders are carrying eight offensive linemen right now. I think they'll add another one and go nine. But still, the quality depth, when you talked about this, the, the quality depth on the offensive line isn't that good. No. And, and if one guy goes down, the whole thing could tumble. And and that's going to be my issue down the stretch in a long season. Do they have the guys up front to keep Derek Carr safe, out of trouble, and to open lanes for Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake? Right. And and the conversation seems to be more about, I mean, even about Kenyon Drake, who I, I like as a signing, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, uh, but at the same time, where are you going to run if there's no holes? So it doesn't matter if you're too deep at running back now and you and you feel good about that. So so I have that same concern about the offensive line and what's going to happen there. But I do think overall a better team, and you have to see Henry Ruggs make the progress. You have to see Brian Edwards make the progress. If both those guys, and I don't think it'll be the case, but if both those guys did not perform, if they had the same similar type of issues they had last year, then this team's looking at a really difficult season because you can't just rely on Darren Waller and you can't get the ball to Darren Waller if your offensive line isn't healthy and isn't blocking for Derek Carr and hopefully he stays up and stays healthy because that's what the Raiders need for them to win. All right, well, we're going to switch gears here now and talk a little bit about this coming season. 
And we're not going to give the whole game-by-game prediction, um, but I do want to talk about the Raiders and what they have coming up in the season because I've been talking to people because a lot of the people, and I'm not trying to be negative, a lot of people are very upbeat about this team, and I think they should be because they are better. But at the same time, I look at this schedule, Mo, it's not easy. It starts It starts hard. There's some stretches here that I think are make or break stretches for this team. And so I look at it and I say, look, yes, they're better, but their schedule is also tougher. And for me, I look at them and say, man, I could, I could at the ceiling see them win 10 games, but more than likely I see them winning nine. And will a nine and eight record get you in the playoffs in the AFC? It all depends what happens in the rest of the, uh, of the division and, of course, in the rest of the conference. But to me, Mo, you know, there's a lot of question marks there, especially with some of these stretches in the games, and it begins with the first three games. Definitely starts out rough with the Ravens and the Steelers in the first two weeks. Again, two playoff two playoff teams from last season. Uh, they're going to get tested on the edge with both teams. You got a short week going to Pittsburgh, and then you have the Dolphins again, who Raiders lost to. I know that a lot of people want to blame Arden Key for that, but the Dolphins are a pretty solid football team. Mm-hmm. So, as we said, if the Raiders start off 0 3, chances of them making the playoffs very slim. I don't think that happens. I think they get at least one of those games, even if it starts out rough, and then I think it'll pick up for them in the middle of the season. Yeah, and you know what's funny, and I know we're not going through specific games, but I actually have the Raiders starting off 1-2, and two, and I have them actually winning against the Ravens because it's at home, it's a big game, it's the first one with a full stadium in Las Vegas, so I like them in that game as tough as it will be, uh, and we still, there's a lot there, but I'm going to be optimistic about it. And then I have them winning four in a row before losing on the road with the Giants. <laughs> right, going all the four way to East Coast. Yeah, four in a row against the Chargers, Bears, Broncos, and Eagles. Two of those at home. Now I'm being optimistic, right? But but that said, that four in a, that four in a row, I have them in the late season um, losing four or five when they have to face the Chiefs, Bengals, Cowboys, Washington, and the Chiefs again in the course of of five weeks, um, and with with three of those on the road. So so I, I think there's some tough stretches here, especially on the backside, Mo, where they've had the most trouble. They've had trouble again. They've had these late season collapses. Yeah, and I'm with you early in the season. I actually have them winning five of six between weeks three and nine. Yep. I think the only loss in there is to Denver only because I think Denver's defense car has struggled against the Broncos recently. So is Gruden. I, I think they fall to Denver on the road there, but I think they, they beat the Eagles and the Giants and the Chargers, as you said, early, and the Dolphins. I'm not a believer in Tua, and a lot of people are going to pick the Dolphins for that game, but I, I just... Carr has the advantage there, and Tua's offensive line is probably worse than Carr's offensive line, as far as I'm concerned. So I, I think the Raiders get that game. That's going to be their first win of the season. I actually think they're going to drop the first two. But as I said, in the middle of the season, I think the Raiders will pick it up, and I think they'll go into their bye week five or four and three, and then come out of the bye, beat the Giants, and be five and three. Then, as you said, I think that's when they run into problems mm-hmm. because until Gruden proves that he can win late in the season. I have my doubts, yeah. and I just wrote yeah. something down really quick. Gruden, I believe, five and five and five wins in December since he's come back to coaching. 
Not good. Not good. Yeah. Not good. Not good. And, and Mo, I agree. I know we'll talk more about it as we get into next week. Of course, next week we'll be previewing the game against the Ravens, which will be on Monday Night Football, the first Monday Night Football of 2021. So we'll get that. We'll also have, uh, we'll return to bringing some guests on. We wanted to talk to you today without guests because we just had so much to talk about with not only kind of our prediction, but also with what was happening with this Raiders roster. Well, Mo, we have finished yet another show here on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090. Uh, and let me know how everybody talks to you about your seven to nine win projection on Twitter. Um, I got them at between uh, nine high end or 10 if they get lucky on a game or two here and there. So we'll have to see. But Mo, as always, man, a pleasure. And we will talk to you next week where we're talking about a game. Absolutely. And we're talking about a game. We're talking about results. We're talking about matchups. Mm-hmm. Finally dig into the season. It's a freshman season. Be happy. Be excited for it. Uh, trying to be too down about my prediction. I, again, I'm not, I haven't finalized it yet, so I, I'm leaning 8-9, but we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, we'll have to see how it all goes. Uh, but we will be here with you every Friday night. Also, some news coming up soon about uh, where you'll be able to hear the show, some other spots as well, so stay tuned for that. For Mo Moten, I am Scott Branson. This has been Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Mo Moten, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N, at LV Gully. And, of course, at SNB Tonight, where we will always interact with you there. For everybody here at Silver and Black Tonight, have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us. Please catch Silver and Black Tonight every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Mightier 1090 AM. SoCal Sports Talk.